Dressed, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary. And April Callahan. So Cass, the subject of today's podcast once remarked rather fabulously, I must say, that, quote, moderation is a fatal thing. (laughs) (laughs) This makes perfect sense. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, it makes perfect sense given the fact that he is the person largely responsible for the fact that many of us are able to conjure up an image in our mind's eye of a so-called rhinestone cowboy. And that is because Nudie Cohn left an indelible mark on the 20th century in terms of Americana with his brilliant, bejeweled, and bespoke designs for everyone from country Western stars of the stage and screen to the everyday person who could really appreciate a very high level of Western glitz and glam. Oh, yes. Add me to that list. (laughs) Dress listeners, if you've ever seen one of Nudie's fantastical creations, we trust that it probably remains emblazoned in your memory. His style is the very definition of unforgettable. I'm such a huge fan. And for his custom clients, he and his team crafted personalized ensembles bestrewn with metal studs, rhinestones, which leapt to life under stage or film lights. And then, of course, those fantastic embroidery designs, which are often interspersed with the rhinestones and frequently very specific to the wearer. So this really plays on their name or a nod to a particular love or hobby, depending on who was wearing his design at any particular moment. And let's just say if you've ever seen a nudie creation, which are often called nudie suits, we can all agree that they instantly spark joy. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) As they certainly did for his oh-so-famous roster of clients. April, should we just take turns naming a few? Yes, because this is quite the list, I must say. You can start. Okay, so Roy Rogers. His wife, Dale Evans. Patsy Cline. Tammy Wynette. Diana Ross. Cher. Dolly Parton. Emily Harris. Anne Margaret. David Cassidy. Lou Rawls. Johnny Cash. <laughs> Merv Griffith. <laughs> Michael Landon. Andy Griffith. Don Knotts. John Wayne. (laughs) Gene Autry, of course. Oh, a little other person you may have heard of, John Lennon. Mm -hmm. Same with Elton John, which also makes perfect sense. (laughs) And Robert Redford. (laughs) And perhaps one of my favorites, David Lee Roth. (laughs) And these are just a few of Nudie's clients. There are oh so many more whose names you would probably recognize. So... The Wild and Wonderful World of Nudie Cohn is the subject of a book by today's guest, Marie McKenzie, entitled Dream Suits, Designs by Nudie Cohn. And an exhibition of the same name, which she helped to organize, was mounted at the Mode Museum in Antwerp, Belgium in 2011-2012. And that particular exhibition featured an astonishing array of Nudie's designs from the collection of Belgian superstar Bobby Jean Chopin and his wife, Jose, who were 
devoted clients of nudies despite the thousands of miles and in an entire ocean in between them. So it goes without saying that we cannot wait to learn more about Nudie, which is why we are so pleased to welcome Mari to the show. She currently serves as a research fellow and visiting lecturer at Glasgow School of Art. And prior to that, she held the post of lecturer in cultural and historical studies at the London College of Fashion. Mari, a warm welcome to Dressed. Mari, we are so thrilled to have you join us today to chat about Nudie Cohen. Welcome to Dressed. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so you are currently based in Glasgow, um, but our topic today is firmly based in Americana. So would you tell us a little bit about your personal journey um, in becoming a fashion historian? First of all, I didn't know there was such a job as a fashion historian. Same. I don't come from an arts background or, you know, parents weren't a part of that world. So when I went to university, I studied the subject that I loved the most, and that was history. So I went to Glasgow University, studied history, and by the time I graduated, I was so sick of writing, I vowed I would never do a job that involved writing. But lo and behold, 20 years later, here we are. So after that, I did loads of jobs. I worked in nightclubs, restaurants, became a wine buyer for a national chain of wine merchants, managed an art gallery. But after all of that, I knew I wanted to work in the fashion industry and I didn't know how or where. So I got a job for the fashion designer, Sharon Guild became her PA and that was where I met Amy Delahaye, the fashion historian, who I got chatting to. I realised there was a job called fashion historian and she was very encouraging and I went back to university to do my master's. Yes, and we are proud to call Amy a friend and she's also a past dressed guest. So what did that path look like? Um, you did your master's. I did my master's, studied at University of Brighton and then I started teaching at London College of Fashion as an associate lecturer and very fortunately was offered a contract to write a fashion history book quite quickly called Isms, Understanding Fashion. It was a broad overview of fashion from 1600 to the present day. And fairly quickly, I started developing my own research projects. And one of the first ones was the one that we're here to talk about today, which is Nudie Cohen. How did you first come to start working on Nudie Cohen? I suppose I'll go back to when I first learned about Nudie. And it wasn't through America. I've never set foot in California or Tennessee. I am somebody writing about that subject from Europe and from Scotland in particular. So it would have been aesthetically through the clothing of somebody like Sidney Devine or seeing Glenn Campbell on television. In real life, the first time I saw a New Day suit was in 1997 in London. At that time, I would say Margiela and Helmut Lang were the main style references, so very, very pared back, pared down. And I was in a club one night and a man walked in wearing a white suit covered in red embroidery and rhinestones. And I said to my boyfriend at the time, what is that? And he said, oh, it's a new day suit. I was like, what's a new day suit? And he told me all about it. And then I made all those connections that I'd already seen. That is so amazing that you also like parlayed like that one experience to actually doing this whole body of professional work about nudie. Well, it's amazing where your research comes from. You just never know how it's going to appear. So just to give you background to how the research project itself came about. I have a friend, Robert Seramagic, who lives in Belgium. And he is very good friends, and I'm now good friends, with a woman called Peggy Chopin. Peggy is the daughter of Bobby Yan. And Bobby Yan was a massive star in Belgium, a very interesting character and talented man. He had a background in music, songwriting, acting, 
he's most closely associated with American genres of music, so country, Western swing, and so on. But also he's a he was in the Yodeling Hall of Fame, which I hadn't realised existed before that, and he was an actor as well. Now, Peggy's dad had what turns out to be the largest collection of nudie clothing in Europe. And Robert introduced me to Peggy and said, can we conserve this collection? And that's what we did. Robert and I worked together. And then we went to the Moda Museum and developed the exhibition that opened there in 2011. I love research projects that present themselves as opposed to trying to conjure something up out of thin air. When something like that comes along, you know that you have to research it. It was wonderful. And I'm so grateful to the Chopin family for letting me into their lives and work with a collection that is so important to them. Okay, so it might seem like a bit of a leap Scotland to country music, but there are very close links for me and for a lot of Scottish people. The origins of country music are found in loads of different cultures, one of which is Scottish traditional folk music and Gaelic laments and ballads. Also, there is a huge influence from Americana back to Scotland. Now, Scotland, well, Glasgow has its own Grand Old Opry. Oh, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, it opened in the 1970s. It's open every weekend for live music. They have gunslinging competitions. <laughs> um, every January, there is a festival called Celtic Connections as well, which is everything from bluegrass through to country music and traditional such as Scottish and Irish music. And we have our own country music star, who sadly died a few years ago, called Sydney Divine. And in Kelvin Grove Museum in Glasgow, one of Sydney Divine's outfits is in there, which is like a Scottish version of a nudie cone outfit. Oh, that's so amazing. I love that. I, I had absolutely no idea. Yeah, if you came to Scotland and you went to a party, particularly in the 1970s, my parents' parties, they would always be playing Jim Reeves or Kenny Rogers or this is the music I heard when I was lying in bed listening to my parents on a Saturday night. I was obsessed with Kenny Rogers when I was like five, six, seven. I told my mom that he was my boyfriend. I had a poster <laughs> of him up on the wall in my room and I would like get up and kiss him every morning and then like go about my day. <laughs> oh, he's a wonderful person to be obsessed with. I can completely identify with that. Nudie's background, because he also was not American, even though he's so identified as this icon of American design. He was born in the Ukraine, if I'm correct? Correct. He came from Kiev in the Ukraine, and he moved, well, moved's a nice way of putting it. Um, he fled during the pogroms, as many Eastern European Jewish people did, to America, arrived in Brooklyn at the age of 11 worked in garment shops, sweatshops there, not great conditions, but he was on his own pretty much from the beginning. Some of his family were already there and some of them followed later. And that was his beginning in America. So Nudie is in the United States now. He's working in some of the garment trades. Did he have a background learning that when he had been in the Ukraine? Yes, his mother had sent him to apprentice with a local tailor knowing that he would need to have skills when he arrived in America. So I think from the age of eight, he was learning the skills that he later used in his own business. Yeah, and this is something that comes up again and again and again from around this same time period is that 
children oftentimes started working in the fashion trades, great designers, tailors, seamstresses from a very, very young age as apprentices. And this is not the first time we've had this discussion. So you note in the book that Nudie had a restless disposition and a talent for seizing opportunities. What was he up to in his teens? He was very enterprising. He seemed like a very exciting person to be around. I think he knew that he had to be enterprising to get out of the situation he was in. And he did many things. He was an amateur boxer, a very successful one. He went to California for a while and worked as a negative cutter. He um, at one stage went to Cleveland, Ohio, answered a job for digging ditches. And then he moved back to New York where he started developing a business to dress showgirls in the burlesque industry. And around the same time, he had gotten married, if I am correct as well, to Bobby, who was a very influential person in his life. Would you tell us a little bit about her? Yes. So Nudie had a very itinerant lifestyle. He traveled around a lot. And one time he stayed at a boarding house that was owned by Bobby's parents. They met, they courted, he asked for a hand in marriage. And as soon as they were married, they became partners in business and in life. And they were together throughout his life. Yeah, and, and it was really Bobby that he was working hand-in-hand hand with in New York, developing that design for the burlesque world, if I'm correct, right? Yes, they opened that business, and it was called Nudies for the Ladies, which is a fantastic name for a business. It might just be the greatest business name ever. <laughs> I'm going to go on record <laughs> for that. His name led, yeah, his name lends so well to so many business names, doesn't it? So he opened that business, and it might seem... You know, in terms of the meterage of cloth used, it's very different to the business they had later on. Mm-hmm. But it was about showmanship and embellishment and being seen on stage. So you can see the kernel of the idea that came later for New Digital Deal Tailors. Yeah, it, it's quite interesting. And, you know, you know, we're, we're talking about sparkle and shine and sequins and the louder, the better, basically. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the light, the stage lighting lends so well to rhinestones. So, you know, from burlesque to Western wear, that seems like a little bit of a leap. How and when did this transition happen? Okay, so they moved to California and had various businesses for a few years when they first moved there. Some were more successful than others, but eventually New Day and Bobby decided that Western wear was where they wanted to be. And they both frequented clubs in the San Fernando Valley. They would see country and Western swing artists performing there. And Nudie, with typical audacity and verve, asked if he could outfit some of these artists. And the first and most famous one was Tex Williams. Who was a really big deal at that time, if some of our listeners don't know. I mean, like one of the top stars. He just went right for it. And he's like, if we're going to do this, I might as well offer my services to the best of the best. Absolutely. And text films went for it. Yeah. I mean, there's an apocryphal story that when the band first came for their fitting, they all got quite merry. And <laughs> the suits were eventually made. None of them fit properly, but they were remade and it all was well in the end. <laughs> I'm assuming when you say a bit merry, that means they were drinking quite a lot. <laughs> I imagine so, yes. And I just need to say that a lot of the biographical details were kindly given to me by Patrine Day Mitchum, who worked with New Day in the 1970s and took down his biography. Oh, that's so great. And she kindly gave me a lot of this biographical detail. I love that. 
So besides techs, who were some of Nudie's other early clients and what type of things was he making for them? So he had always been a fan of Western films. So Roy Rogers was an early client and a very important client of Nudie's and his wife, Dale Evans. He um, also outfitted, began to outfit more and more of the country music fraternity. So Hank Thompson, Spade Cooley, Merrill Travis and Lefty Frizzell. And more and more often, you began to see country music stars in outfits made by Nudie. It became a sign of authenticity and success within that field. And he aptly integrated his social life as well with the clientele that he was courting and working with. He was a huge fan of the music and he liked the people that worked in the industry. Mm-hmm. He himself, I would venture to say, just from, from what I've read about him, he was gregarious. He was super friendly. He liked to have a good time. He seemed to be, and people really liked him. Every interview I've ever read with anyone who knew him talked about how warm, intelligent, welcoming he was. And he created a scene, I suppose, within his stores and amongst his clientele. Now, he, his business model may appear to be that he courted famous people and they were a billboard for his designs. And that did happen. But New Day was democratic as well. You know, he sold T-shirts, he sold jeans. So there was clientele that went beyond the famous. Yeah. So uh, let's get into this signature look because much, much like the man, <laughs> his creations were over the top. How would you describe his signature style? And might you tell us about one of your favorite nudie pieces? Okay. So his signature style was a case of anything goes. I entitled the book Dream Suits and the exhibition Dream Suits because of that sort of over the top, anything goes aplomb. To the casual observer, a nudie outfit would be an instantly recognisable garment. And there are a few things that recur within them that allow us to see this. He used rhinestones. That would be the first thing. Rhinestones lend themselves really well, as I've already said, to being on stage, under stage lighting. And the sparkling crystals form a part of his mythology. He's commonly credited with being the first to apply rhinestones to Western wear. This is not the case. There were others who were doing it before then, in particular Nathan Turk, but he is the one who took it and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Um, embroidery was also hugely significant to New Day's aesthetic. When outfits were commissioned, people would have embroidery that tied in with their hobbies or their names. Supporter Wagner would have wagon wheels. And embroidery was also based upon a number of different cultural traditions, one of which was Ukrainian traditional embroidery. And he worked with an embroiderer called Rose Clements, who came from London. She was a master embroiderer. And her collection of books that she used for inspiration is now housed at the New Day Business Archive at the Oatry Museum of the American West. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. And let's point out, too, that New Day had a whole team, right? So Rose, and then also um, somebody else who was influential in his business was Manuel Cuevas, who was his tailor, correct? Correct. And Manuel was on the scene that a lot of people would have been clientele of Nudie's as well. He was Nudie's son-in-law at one stage as well. And today, Nudie, um, Manuel still has a very successful business as music stars of all kinds. I just want to say a couple of things about his style. When people talk about his clothes, it's as though they sit outside of fashionable styles of the day, but they did draw upon 
styles that were fashionable concurrently. So when you look at the 1950s suits, they have that drape that's similar to zoot suits. In the 1970s, you can see flares coming in and materials that had become fashionable at that time. So he did sit within existing stylistic conventions also. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned Porter Wagner earlier, and we can't talk about Porter Wagner without also mentioning that Dolly Parton was a huge client of of Nudie as well. Absolutely. And for me, Dolly can do no wrong. I think she's absolutely wonderful. And everything she ever wore of Nudie's looked spectacular. Nudie made a lot of clothes for a lot of women as well. He's often thought of as being a menswear designer, but he also does design for women as well. Yeah. We actually, um, last year, invited Dolly to come on the show. And oh. uh, her people got back to us right away. They were super nice, but she declined. So maybe one day. <laughs> but I, I thought it was really lovely that they got back to us immediately and were very sweet. So I wouldn't expect anything less. She seemed <laughs> very, very polite. Okay. So favorite outfits. I'm going to pick a couple that are a bit more low key. Mm-hmm. One would be the outfits worn by Bobby Ann and Jose Chopin, the collection that I worked with in the exhibition at the Moda Museum. They had two matching denim outfits made with their star signs picked out and flat brass studs on the back of each of their denim jackets. Really beautiful. <laughs> and also famously Nudie designed for the Flying Burrito Brothers and Graham Parsons when they released their Gilded Palace of Sin album. And there's one suit on that album cover that never really gets much coverage, but I loved it. It was Sneaky Pete Kleinov. He was the pedal steel guitar um, virtuoso. And he designed it himself and it had a dinosaur on it, basically, on black velour with big bell bottoms. It's very sweet and it's quite different to most UD designs. And for that reason, I really like it. Yeah. And it's in the book, if I am correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually one of my favorite ones, too. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I really like that. It has almost like a little bit of a rock and roll edge to it. I think we're going to get a little bit back to that connection in a second. But before we do, you had mentioned that the store itself kind of like became this social scene which is quite fascinating, interesting. People would come and hang out. So, you know, around nudie, there was this sort of like cult of personality, I would I would venture to say. And his signature style started to spread outside the realm of the clothing that he made. He was doing other kinds of design as well. Can we talk about the cars? Because this, I think the cars is how I first came to recognize his distinctive style before the clothes. So, yes, he didn't stick to clothing. He embellished and designed items to do with horsewear. So saddles, cowboy hats, cowboy boots. Also, the cars are probably the most distinctive. He made 18 of them in total. They were Pontiacs and Cadillacs. They had silver dollars studded into the leather dashboard, hand-tooled leather seats, pistols for door handles, when the ignition started, it would be the sound of horses stampeding. <laughs> so two of these, out of 18 ever made, two of them now reside in Belgium in the collection of Bobby Ann and the Chopin family. Mm-hmm. And of course, some of them also have the steer horns on the front. And that, that is like, you kind of like know immediately, or you that's your first clue that it might be a nudie Cohen car. You would see them coming. Yes. <laughs> and that was the entire point, honestly. Really wonderful, really wonderful. And Bobby Yan, who had two of the cars, he owned a theme park in Belgium and the cars were 
attractions really people would pay to ride around the theme park in the in the nudie cars. Yeah, that's very cool. You touched on this already a little bit, but uh, you said that nudie at one point had been to California early on before he kind of came back and started the business, and he had been working in the Hollywood film industry as a negative cutter. Mm-hmm. What was his relationship later on with the Hollywood film industry. It has been written that, quote, you'll find the man or his work in just about every Western ever made from the 1940s to the 1990s, which may be a little bit of an over-exaggeration in terms of like every single one, but his aesthetic and his presence was there. First of all, he was a huge fan of the Hollywood film industry. When he was growing up in Kiev, he would go to the cinema, he would watch the films of Tom Mix who was a very dashing Hollywood cowboy. Then later on, he was a fan of Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and eventually went on to outfit Roy Rogers, particularly for his live stadium tours. Mm. Most famously in his later years, the outfit that comes to mind is that worn by Robert Redford in The Electric Horseman, which had lots of little bulbs that lit up. So it was an exaggerated form of a new day outfit. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that a lot of people think of when you think of New Day in the movies. And also another iconic look that he designed was a specific suit for Elvis, if I am correct. Yes. This was designed, well, it was commissioned by Colonel Tom Parker. It was on the cover of the 1959-50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. It was a gold draped suit and the lapel was fixed with thousands upon thousands of rhinestones. And it was based on a suit worn by Liberace, apparently. (laughs) It cost $10,000 and $9,500 of that was pure profit. Again, that could just be a story. And it's become synonymous with one of Elvis's looks. I know Elvis has many looks, but that is one of the most striking and memorable. Yeah, and, and this brings us to the point that, you know, nudie, of course, designed for both men and women, but his menswear, we have already established, was a tad flamboyant and loud. And it has also been commented on that perhaps nudie's work sort of set the sartorial stage for the glam rock aesthetic. Do you have any thoughts on that? Both glam rock and nudie style sat within a longer tradition of proletariat defiance. This idea of men who would ordinarily be seen as macho because of their class or their background, dressing up in a flamboyant manner because they had made it or they were on stage and wanted to be seen. And there was no disconnect or gulf between the idea of flamboyance and masculinity, I suppose. I can see they're in the same tradition. I don't know how much one was influenced by the other, but certainly visually you can place them in the same tradition. Mm -hmm. Now we're kind of eking in um, into the 70s when we're talking about glam rock and Nudie's very, very well-lived life um, sadly ended in 1984. And it was a testament to the fact that he was so, so, so loved. His funeral was apparently massive. There were (laughs) hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to his funeral. The business carried on after Nudie's death for several years, if I am correct. Yeah, his legacy is carried on by his granddaughter, Jamie Newdy, who has written a book about him and develops other projects as well around his legacy. Maddie, thank you so much for sharing some insights into the work and life of Nudie Khan. This was really, really wonderful. And I am such a big fan. I, I think that if I had to pick like top 10 like dream pieces that I would like to add to my collection one day, I would love to have one of his jackets. 
Oh, they are incredible. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on Dressed. Thank you so much for having me. Madi, thank you so much for joining us. And we cannot agree with you more that sometimes the best projects do, in fact, find you organically. What a joy to be immersed in Nudie's world, I'm sure. Yes. And Cass, I know that I briefly mentioned that hundreds of people attended Nudie's funeral. Well, later I went back and I checked my notes and it was something like more than 800 people came to his funeral. And this is really just a testimony of how loved and adored this man was. And, you know, sometimes we all joke about that game of like, what figure in history would you like to invite to your dinner party? Well, I think I would like to add Nudie Cohen to my list of dinner <laughs> parties sure. from history. I bet he'd totally be the life of the party. And clearly he would upstage everybody with whatever he was wearing. <laughs> Well, that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider adding a little rhinestone cowboy flair to your ensemble next time you get dressed. Remember, we love hearing from you. So if you'd like to write to us, you can do so via email at dressed at iheartmedia.com. You can also always DM us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, where we post images accompanying each week's episode. If you have time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we always do so appreciate it. We also appreciate our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes the show possible each and every week. More Dress coming your way soon. Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.